You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 61 of You Play A What. I hope all of you are well. It's been a while. I'm back after a three weeks hiatus. I hope you didn't miss this voice too much. Uh, yes, suddenly been an interesting couple of weeks with changes to my schedule and having a few more things on, my, on the plate at the moment. It's exciting, but also requires just a little bit of calibration. So uh, my apologies on missing a couple of weeks of release. But that is all my own issues and I shall not bore you to death about it because you are here for my guest this week, who is the legend that is Kevin Lowe. Kevin is, of course, no stranger to the music scene in Singapore. He was spotted at the age of 12 by the Yehudi Menuhin School in the UK through his YouTube channel, which he still keeps up to date till this very day. He has since went on to win competitions, premier concertos, and has garnered international repute within the guitar scene. An excellent guitarist and a fantastic guest to have on the show. On this episode, we spoke about him moving to the UK at the age of 12 to study at the Yehudi Menuhin School, defining family support in his early musical developments and how music became a family bonding activity for him, the importance of consistency and compounding progress, his time spent in the refugee camp in Calais, France, and the profound impact music has on people and different communities. His quote, there is more to life than music and how it has informed him on his decision making, how we are fortunate to be working as musicians and the trade-offs we have to endure, with the decision, his hopes for future contribution towards the Singapore guitar development, and many more. But enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Kevin. My guest today is Kevin Lowe. Kevin is a winner of multiple international competitions and regarded as one of the finest young classical guitarists. And in my opinion, he plays with such charm and sensitivity, you have to check it out. His YouTube channel hosts over 300 videos of his performances and has garnered more than 4 million views. I don't know about you, but by my standard, that is pretty crazy. And I'm very much looking forward to this chat and learning more about the man himself. Welcome to the show, Kevin. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me on, Vincent. All good, man. It's my absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you so much for taking time out to, to speak to me. No problem. I thought we'll start here. You know, right now, in mm. this period of time, it is a time where a lot of the students start traveling back to Europe or the UK. You know, they start to pack their bags and pack their emotions and head back for the new academic year in their respective countries, right? Or their respective schools, I mean. And I believe for yourself too. And 
you know, over this one year, one of the positives that came out from this whole COVID shenanigans is that a lot of Singaporean musicians or music students actually came back to Singapore for this last one year, whether by choice or not, who otherwise would be away in another country either doing their studies or enjoying life, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's been a, a treat for, for many of us to be able to hear you play live and having more opportunities to hear other musicians as well. So uh, currently you're a student at the University of Cambridge. Mm-hmm. That's right. The, the decision to return back to Singapore in this last one year, how has everything panned out for you? And were there any initial plans that went out of the window uh, because of this decision? Mm. So... I was, I, I started my second year of my undergrad at Cambridge in October 2020. I ended up going back at that point, although, you know, um, the circuit breaker had already occurred in March uh, last year, but the university asked us to go back and we, we ended up, I ended up staying there for one term. And during that one term, actually, we ended up having a lot, one one lockdown and the, and we I experienced the start of a second. But at that point, it was during the Christmas vacation and we were about to start the second term. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> uh, the Delta variant was on the rise then, and I was like, you know, I think it's time to it's time to come home where it's safer. So I decided to take the plunge and I returned to Singapore at the start of January um, of twenty twenty one this year. Um, and even back in March 2020, at that point, um, I did come back that at that point as well. And there were plans for exams and even concerts during the summer break. So all of that had to be postponed as, as with everyone else's plans, of course. So everything just went up in the air. And, um, and it's tough. I mean, not just for, for us individuals, but certainly for institutions as well. Uh, like they, during the exam period, you know, everyone in universities and schools were sort of going, working very hard at it to rearrange, you know, all the arrangements for us to take remote exams and things. And, uh, you know, I mean, not just with education institutions, but of course, performing arts institutions as well and trying to work within all these new norms, as it were, to, you know, present all these, uh, present our art form in, in, in a way that's accessible to everyone. So I, I, I totally sympathize with, you know, everyone going through all these difficult times. Lah. So mm. I think now that we have some sense of normality slowly creeping back, it's great to see that people are, you know, taking taking up the challenges with the new sort of, you know, internet, like media, online media, and, and uh, doing all these online performances, uh, taking opportunity mm. of the platform. Lah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and I think back in the UK, at this current, with their current situation, uh, football mm. season is on. Uh, football stadiums are absolutely packed. So I think, yeah. fair to say, everything is going to go back to uh, their previous normal, I would yeah, say. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how has it been for you now that, you know, obviously when we enter a new school, we we set certain expectations, what we want to get out of it towards the end. And we mm. think about like, you know, how we're going to chart each, each of our year, what is to come and, and things like that. Uh, has that affected your sort of uh, overarching sort of plans uh, or what you want to achieve out of your studies? So firstly, sort of tracking back to 
to my experience with the Yehudi Menuhin School. At that time, I was not expecting to leave Singapore to study overseas at all. So that was really surreal. Um, and I don't think I really felt the gravity of the situation of actually leaving Singapore at that point fully. But then having gone through those seven years, it was a real eye-opening experience where, you know, I was I was really fortunate to receive a lot of opportunities, performing opportunities. And then subsequently with the course at the University of Cambridge, this wasn't this isn't a like a conservatoire, it's not a performing degree. It's more of an academic music degree. And I made that conscious decision because I wanted to balance out what I had done with performing and spend more time pushing myself within the academic realm. I think one thing that I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of is like with the classical guitar repertoire and the history that we are involved in, we are like a niche within the niche of classical music. <laughs> so having right. sort of, sort of uh, surrounded myself with what is you know common guitar knowledge isn't it, it doesn't necessarily align with what is the western classical music canon so mm. whenever you talk to me about the greats you know i would be like oh actually i don't really know a lot about these things so menuhin was a step into exposing myself to this sort of thing and and additionally with cambridge so i think cambridge was uh was a very uh I was very lucky to get in and I was, I'm very fortunate for the opportunity to be able to study there. And it has been a great decision that served me very well so far. It's really just opened my eyes to a lot more things because you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah and it almost sounds like what you're saying is you've discovered like the tip of the iceberg and all of a sudden you realize like this, what's underneath in the water, right. isn't it? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. The whole breadth of, uh, like I said, Western classical music history and, you know, yeah, there, there's just so much information and so much uh, areas that you can explore, right? As Absolutely. A musician. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. And now looking forward to your engagements in the next month or two, okay, because uh, I browse through your, your website a little bit as well as <laughs> doing some research for this interview. Uh, I see that you have a couple of projects lined up and October, November-ish looks yes. pretty exciting for you. Yes, no, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe two, two questions for you. So mm. uh, number one, you know, how does it feel like going back to an event like the London International Guitar Competition and performing for an audience member that perhaps have quite deep knowledge of the instrument and repertoire? Mm. That's question number one. How does that feel? Mm. Do you approach a performance differently? Do you program differently? And number two, what is it like now? Or do you foresee that there will be a difference once you revisit a piece like the Concerto de Aranjuez since your performance in 2019? Now preparing for this new one. Yeah. So with performing back in the UK, that there are a lot more audiences that are certainly more well-informed about, you know, classical guitar performance. And that definitely puts some pressure in the performance because generally I wouldn't say that I'm generally nervous for, for performances. I mean, having nerves is, uh, surely it's a healthy thing yeah, to at least have sure. a little bit, right? You, you can't, you know, com be completely sort of ignorant. Desensitized or, to this. Uh, desensitized yeah, exactly. to it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think, I try not I try to not let it get to me because mm. ultimately it doesn't matter uh 
who you're playing for, you should. I try my best to have an interpretation of something that is solid, and I just try to present it as convincingly as possible. Obviously, there are things that you know people can pick up more carefully, but I try to not let that get to me because what's the point? Mm, <laughs> you know, you just absolutely. want to do the best you can there. Yeah. And um, when it comes to reviving repertoire such as the Aaron Huez, I think that particular example is a is a special one because playing with orchestra you know you don't get that opportunity all the time so i would have thought that by now you know uh i feel much more com- i would feel much more comfortable but that, i don't think that's true i feel that you know every time it, it's been a refreshing experience it's always a different hall different group of people you work with and the and the the whole ambiance, the space, the atmosphere is always going to be different. So it's always, I'm always on my toes. Mm. I mean, obviously I try not to let that show too much as nerves, right? You obviously want to look calm and, you know, confident, but always sort of just being careful about what's to come because you never, you you never know, you can never Mm. anticipate, you know, what will happen, right? Yeah, yeah, especially in a performance situation, right? Those spur yeah, no, of the, the moment uh, <laughs> things that happens. Yeah, it could be tempo changes or, or dynamics yeah. that can often uh, catch you by surprise or is not reflected in a in a rehearsal. Exactly. So, but I but that's still you know uh, guitar and orchestra. Even when it comes to my solo stuff, I feel that uh, that there's still that element as well because mm. you when you when I perform, I don't just think about the piece or the sound that's local to me. It really is about the space and how you fill the room uh, with the atmosphere. I mean, particularly with the guitar as well, because it's such a... Its range of volume isn't exactly as huge as some of the other instruments out there. Mm. And therefore, we... It's kind of like a blessing in disguise in a way, because it really makes it for... It turns it into a really intimate atmosphere whenever you hear a guitar concert and really playing with the space and the sound the balance all of that really uh it's uh you're forced to be a lot more sensitive and i feel that that can be if done well it can be really uh effective Mm. so yeah every time is different every time is different even with the rep that i'm working on now i've been playing some of it for a few years some of it just a couple months and and every time there's always something (laughs) new (laughs) right yeah, and uh, I think what what you say is so true about the the magic behind listening to uh, a guitar recital or guitar performance is that ambience that that it creates. You know, the the type of sound and how intimate it is, which is uh, it actually is really special. I I don't think many instruments are able to to achieve that. Uh, certainly, me playing the euphonium or a brass instrument sonically, we are it, it's much more challenging to just create. Mm that kind of very, very delicate, very intricate moments and very intricate playing. So I, I, I do uh, get what, what you're, you're com- where you're coming from and what you're saying from that. And uh, g- going back to <laughs> playing for a more sort of like learned or educated audience, uh, I, I used to hate doing studio classes, studio performance <laughs> classes, right? Uh, I, I went to the, the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester for a couple of years and we have a particularly huge... Uh, euphonium and baritone department when I was there so there were like 20 students which is by by norm unbelievably huge right wow. so yeah we are talking about maybe in certain schools uh, 
less than 10, you know, sometimes less mm. than five. So it just happened that that year we had lots of students and it's always nerve wracking, right? Going up, playing for like fellow classmates who I'm sure. knows the repertoire <laughs> and just like, ah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that's always an interesting experience. Yeah. And, and let's talk a little bit about, let's geek out a little bit, right? About the, the, the sure. concerto. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, my first uh, interaction or me first time hearing uh, Concerto di Aranjuez, of course, is the second movement. So, mm. so popular, so famous. Yes. And right. it's transcribed for so many different ensembles as well. Yeah. And uh, there's one particularly uh, popular arrangement for brass band. And it's okay. featured in, in a film, actually, called yes, Brass I think I, I think yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this like lady playing the flugelhorn and yeah. then, yeah, there's uh, playing, playing the, the, the solo parts and things like that. Uh-huh. So uh, uh, I, uh, since I'm speaking to you, I went uh, not very deep into the, the rabbit hole, but just a little bit, uh, research a little bit into like uh, Joaquin Rodrigo and sure. what the piece means and him as a person and, and a composer. And I think you are probably in a better position to to share this. But um, Concierto de Aranjuez, it's much more than what is on the paper, isn't it? There's so much yes. stories behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. If I recall correctly, it... Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't yeah. fully remember it off the top of my head either. But it, it, with the second mo- movement, there's a story associated with it. It was the passing of someone close to him or something. Yeah, the miscarriage of the daughter. Right, that's it. Yeah, and um, yeah, and 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 you can and you can feel you can really feel the emotion in that second movement. It's mm. so it, yeah, it just touches the heart. Really, yeah, yeah it's really really emotional movement. Um, one of the one of the interesting things with Rodrigo is how he's able to achieve such such color and texture whilst albeit you know being a blind composer and you know and 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 the way he wrote as well like he uses a special sort of braille system mm. or something when he writes and then it's his wife who then converts that into notation right so yeah. although you know he doesn't he wasn't able to see he was still able to create these wonderful colors and yeah and and not let that not let that impairment of sight you know get to him mm. yeah yeah and it's just masterful orchestration all around mm. right um the the guitar line of course the, the guitar in in the performance situation is always going to be slightly amplified but, yes yeah uh, but the textures that you know occasionally like the, the strumming along from mm. like this sort of slightly more accompaniment role with yes, the yes. horn going yeah. into the solo line and how the texture is always able to to come through yes with often sometimes quite thick uh, orchestration yeah that's right yeah that's so really really amazing achieving that balance of textures is really really great and it's not it's not easy at all so with particularly as you rightly mentioned with this movement it's done particularly well Mm, yeah, and, and speaking of that, you know, I, yeah, it just uh, pains me a little bit that I that I missed your concert in twenty nineteen. Like uh. I, I, I wish wish to be there, and uh, if if to be honest, if I knew that you were playing uh, this particular concerto, I'll definitely be there because you know, thanks. It's, it's, <laughs> such, it's such a great one. It's such a great one. Yeah. Uh, so well, all the best for your performance in in November. And thank you very much October. yeah thank so you I, i'm sure 
I'm sure you'll do absolutely fine. And hopefully, we, we get uh, snippets of it uh, online. If hopefully, you can share, yeah. <laughs> share with us. Yeah, that, that would be great. Yeah. Um, no, you, you mentioned a little bit about your earlier musical training at the Mandarin School. Mm, yes. Uh, of course, you were spotted by the school through your YouTube channel that you ran mm-hmm. for obviously yeah. a really long time. Mm-hmm. At that point of time, when you left for the Mandarin School, you were 12, I believe. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and you, you kind of mentioned briefly about how you did not quite kind of understand the, the magnitude of this move, right? What it means to yeah. <laughs> go over to the UK and, and study mm-hmm. music. So yeah. uh, decision-making-wise, uh, you probably, did you feel that it was difficult or you, like at that point of time, you're so young, you just like didn't think much of it and just kind of went? I think... I was in a position where I was not fully aware of all the factors that I had to consider to make that move. So suddenly the finances was one, uh, you know, I never had to think, you know, about school fees of such a magnitude before. And, (laughs) you know, and, you know, being, you know, being halfway around the world, you know, on my own without, family and sort of being independent, thrown into the deep end, you know, all these things didn't quite occur to me until I was there. Mm. I kind of just thought, okay, you know, let's just give it a shot, right? Um, you know, it's a really prestigious school that have, you know, given me such an incredible opportunity. Yeah. Uh, what What's there to lose, you know, mm. uh, give it, just give it a shot. So yeah. I would, the way it works with the school is that during the audition process, they actually invite you for a three day stay over and they see mm. how you, you live in school, interact with others and just assess how you'd fit in. So at okay. least I had a sort of taste on what it would be like. And at that point I, you know, had a better idea on how it was uh, to study there and I had a incredible time and <laughs> it became, you know, seven of some, some, some best years of my life there. So mm. yeah. A lot of good friends there, a lot of amazing music making. Mm, but yeah, I think, mm. I think um, I've been, I was very, very fortunate to, you know, at the time to receive some financial backing from the HSBC Youth Excellence Award. And I think that was one of the big reasons. Also, the school at the time also offered a bursary that was supported by the Rolling Stones. That was, uh, the money came from the Rolling Stones to set up the guitar department specifically within the Menuhin School. Ah, so okay. it was this bus three plus HSBC, everything. The timing just fit. It, I was just really, really lucky. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. I, yeah, I really, really treasured the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, uh, apart from this sort of world-class musical training, mm-hmm. what you get is also jacket potato with big beans for lunch, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Who, who can? Yeah. Who can complain about that for? Yeah, years, yeah. Right. Your op- yeah. your opening that can of beans, which is English cuisine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh absolutely. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but now some some memories starting to flood back, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit more in depth about like settling into a new country, right? Mm, so you mm. you mentioned it briefly about independence and what were if you can name us just a few key really key things or key points or realizations that you had once you moved there and perhaps uh, did, did your parents went there with you for the mm-hmm. first week or so or 
and then so yeah my experience is probably a it's probably different to most in the sense that a lot of friends and colleagues here from Singapore who would go overseas to study, they'd be going over at university level. So for me, you know, I was pre-uni. Uh, I was 12 when I went over. So basically I went over six, seven years, kind of like an IB sort of thing, a duration. And at the boarding school, you have the school that takes care of your food, your accommodation and maintenance and all these kind of things. So a lot of these things were already taken care for us. And it's not the same as, you know, having to sort out your own transport in a you know bigger town and everything you have to sort out yourself. So for me, I definitely think the transition was a lot smoother. But at the same time, certainly within a different cultural environment, different cultural context, I think a huge point would be to have a bit more patience because mm. it really takes time to settle in and get used to a new environment you can't expect things to conform to you you i mean when i was there i was keeping my eyes and ears peeled because i was learning so much you know so in that sense it didn't make a huge difference for me i suppose because i was already learning a lot and in terms of the cultural side that also came into play too so i'm just observing learning a lot of new things so i think patience actually is a pretty huge factor there mm-hmm. um yeah and just just being open and getting to know people and learn the cultural mannerisms right and then you try and sort of make that a part of your own identity so that's how i feel like having spent so much of my life in the uk it's kind it kind of feels like a second home to me as well yeah mm, for sure i can imagine yeah, yeah. and you know, uh, as a 12-year-old, because I, I'm just very interested, I'm very intrigued by by someone leaving the the country so young and studying abroad, uh, basically alone. And mm. when, when I was in, uh, in Manchester, I did came across a few uh, Malaysian friends, most of them peers. Mm. So in, in Manchester, they have a similar school, like the Mandarin School, called the Chetham School of Music. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a lot of them had a similar sort of path as you. So they went mm. there and did their secondary school education, basically. And one of the things that they mentioned to me, because I always ask them like, oh, so do you like go back home often? And do you do you, do you miss home and things like that? And they would often tell me that, yeah, of course, it, like it's always nice. You go back during the vacation, then you get to spend some time with family for like maybe a week or two. And then after that, for them, it says, it just gets pretty boring because social circle wise, yeah. a lot of their friends that they knew had already moved on to other things, and you, you start mm. to have this like detachment right between your, your friends. Even though that they may be your best friends in primary school, but now they're in secondary school, and it seems like you know you can't really relate to what they're doing, and they can't mm. relate to you, and things like that. Do you face such challenges as well uh, when you return back home? I think as time gradually passed, I did lose lose touch with some of my primary school friends because particularly for us at that juncture i i don't know if many of us do you know keep close contact with primary school friends you know mm. i think it's when you move on to secondary school at jc poly when you know you you know you start to have closer group, friends yeah. right yeah, yeah another group so for me i definitely lose touch there but i still manage to keep in touch with some folks and you know even up till now so i've been very fortunate that there's still one too uh and i and whenever i come home 
well, I, at the beginning, I did come home uh, relatively often. I'm very close to my family, so I definitely experienced uh, a bit of homesickness. But at the same time, being at Menuhin, everyone is in a similar situation as you. And again, mm-hmm. about I was saying earlier about sort of being open. We understand that, you know, we're all in the same boat. We try to... And actually, when we put our heads down into making music and, in, and enjoying the entire process, you know, making music with others as well, I just had a great time and I didn't end up worrying too much about the homesickness thing. Mm. And uh, we realized that actually we are also one big family and, you know, doing stuff, making music together. So for me, after a while, it didn't bother me that much. Right. Mm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think we we could tell like, because if it had really, really affected you, you probably won't go through the full seven years, right? right. It, it, yeah. It, yeah. And it's a, it's a long time. Seven years is a, is a long time to, to spend. It's a huge investment you know, for sure. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And uh, of course, going through your, your YouTube channel, uh, the, the one clip that is on your homepage is this <laughs> wonderful rendition of uh, Piazzolla's Cafe 1930 uh, mm. performed by yourself and uh, Chloe Chua which yep. kind of already a legend at a very, very young age. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, of course, this is probably not something that would that you would say, but mm. when I was looking at the video, no. uh, I can't help but to like smile to myself because I feel like not too many years ago, young Kevin was in the shoes of Chloe in a way, right? Yes. And, yeah. and did this... Um, how do you feel about this collaboration with Chloe? And has that reminded you of your, your personal journey? Any particular memories uh, yeah. that, you, that, uh, and that you've been on? I think you put it very well, actually. It was very poignant for me at the time because it did... I, I did end up reminiscing a little bit of, as you say, how I was in a similar position as her when I was of that age. And it was really enjoyable to just collaborate with Chloe because it it helped me realize how when I was in a similar position like her that that over time how I ended up moving out of Singapore and really opening my eyes to the world how much things can develop and change over time and if she is already so good at you know at that point you know she has so much potential to grow so it was really exciting to be part of that journey with her. And I wouldn't say that um, that it reminded me of a particular memory. I think one thing it did remind me of was the HSBC uh, award sort of concert, because that was a concert that I did before I left for Menuhin mm. School. So it was there was some uh, similarity there for me, I suppose. But I think it just, there wasn't a specific memory apart from that, I suppose. It was just a general uh, mm, similarity that I felt mm. that, you know, young, you know, someone as young as her and as talented as her has, uh, has so much room to grow. And I feel that we can try to do more within our local community to provide such a platform and pave the way for others to be able to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, future's bright for her. Absolutely, yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, I I think for for her as well. I think uh, at, at such a young age with such musical awareness, you know, mm. the, the way she played, you know, some of these moments in the Piazzolla Tango that needs to be, you know, in the face with grunt yeah. and uh, a different color, and she yeah. showed that in her playing, and then I'm like, wow, this is this is amazing. Yeah. Definitely, it, yeah, yeah, and it's not just like good, precise playing. It's just like so full of like uh, stylistic uh, differences. Definitely, I think well. with music yeah. like Piaz- by Piazzolla, that's you know, there's a it can be a bit brash, and there's a level of maturity to it. And mm. you know, despite being of young age, she she rose to the challenge, and she yeah. definitely achieved it. Yeah, mm. absolutely, yeah, and uh, of course, you you just mentioned that you are close to your family or you're very close to your family. And uh, of course, I understand that your father is also your first guitar teacher. So I I think we all as musicians or former music students understand the importance of family support for us to do what we are doing, right? So it has to be there. Otherwise, this journey is um, extra difficult, right? It's already difficult enough. It becomes extra difficult without the, the right support. But it seems like with your family, they bring this, uh, the definition of family support to a whole new level, right? So uh, let's start off with having your father as your guitar teacher. Are, are there any complications uh, <laughs> when it comes to like navigating this? You know, yeah, uh, yeah and. Were there any like tough love moments uh, during your, <laughs> your your early days yeah. of learning the guitar? So, my dad's journey with the guitar was that he was a self-taught player, and he, and that's how you know uh, he ended up joining what was known as Topayo Guitar Club, and I mentioned these things because that's how uh, I got into guitar through him. He started teaching me, uh, he started teaching me guitar after I was kicked out of violin school. And we, it was just his way of sitting me down because the reason why I got kicked out from violin lessons was because the teacher thought I was running around too much and he couldn't babysit me anymore. So my dad's way of sitting me down was, you know, play some guitar and we just had fun making it. Throw a guitar to you. (laughs) (laughs) So we, and, so yeah. that way we had lots of fun and just making music together and my mom would be behind the camera filming us doing stuff together so it was a, it really was a family bonding activity more than a you know you go learn a musical instrument kind of kind of deal I feel very fortunate that this passion for music festered in 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 such a way it didn't feel like a chore so much it just felt like oh it's another you know it's time to play guitar again with the family and just do something together. So I feel that that helped with that helped me develop my passion in a more concrete way. Uh, and I was able to recognize that at an earlier point hmm. because he, it also taught me discipline and things like that, where, you know, if I wanted to be good at something, you know, my dad showed me that, you know, you have to do a little bit every day, and make it consistent and how do you develop good habits and things like that, you know, and this could be in, in contrast to a typical teacher student relationship where, 
you could just have a lesson, say, just once a week, right? With my dad, you know, I was doing it every day. So I definitely think that the, that played a contributing factor to how I was able to develop more quickly. Certainly, I mean, that's what I was told, but yeah. um, I feel that it's made my relationship with my family a whole lot closer. Mm. So that has been uh, amazing as well. I think tough love moments... I'd be lying to say that there weren't any. I think there were times where I was telling my dad, I'm, I, I don't feel like playing today. Can I take a day off? I, I remember <laughs> there was a phrase, that was the phrase I used when right. I was like six or seven or something. And I was like, dad, I, 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 let, let's just give it a pass today. And he said, no, you, you know, if you want to be good at something, like you said before, stay consistent, you know, it's for the long haul. And, and I took his advice and, you know, I'm really, thankful that you know he pushed me mm. whenever i needed it right even when yeah. i never knew yeah okay so uh, has the tables changed now are you giving him lessons nowadays <laughs> <laughs> nowadays he yeah. is more busy with work so he hasn't right. been playing so much and with the other siblings in the family they play as well and mm. my father is teaching them from time to time and i chip right. in whenever i'm mm. around and right. we try to play together as a group and have mm. fun trio quartet or, or stuff like that just yeah. jam and have fun i we are not you know they don't necessarily want to do music full-time in the future so that's fine uh, ultimately it's whenever they want to do it and it's it's festering the enjoyment right mm, absolutely so they do it whenever they like yeah yeah and and it's amazing like how you you guys managed to turn this uh Thing with practice and recording into this kind of family project as well like getting also your, your mom involved in just like behind the scenes filming and things like that did it came to a surprise to you when you start speaking to other people where actually this is not the norm because as because you're brought up this way right suddenly you feel that this sort of like the idea of like having your family around that music being this sort of family activity is mm. probably what everybody has in their life but then when you speak to people, more often than not, they'll tell you that, oh, actually, when I practice, I just sit by myself and I practice and I go out for a lesson once a week. Right, and like right, yeah. exactly. So yeah. I wouldn't say it was, a, it was a surprise, but I definitely noticed the differences and sort of recognized that, hey, actually, I have a particularly close relationship with my parents and my siblings, more so than some of my peers because of what we did specifically with music. Over time, obviously, I started to recognize that they had their own passions and, you know, it doesn't have to be music necessarily, but there was this passion that we had sort of used to bring ourselves closer together. Mm. Yeah. What was it like sharing the stage with your with your father, right? You guys, I, I mean, I was browsing the, the channel, a couple of videos of both of you playing together, and one of it was... Uh, I think for the child child date uh, fundraiser concert. I see. You, yes. You, yeah, a very young Kevin performing Chardas, <laughs> and yeah, of course your your dad being on stage with you. What yeah. sort of impact is that? Did that help calm you down a little bit to have your your father on stage with you and oh, yes. at a young age? Oh yes, definitely. I felt even at a young age, I felt the difference between playing solo and playing with my father, or you know, not necessarily just my father, but in a group setting. Whenever it was a group setting, I, I basically didn't really feel the nerves because we were all in this together. We're making music as a group. 
And I just really enjoyed it and had fun. But when I was on my own, I definitely felt the sort of gazes, like all eyes on me. And it that built, uh, that definitely made me feel more nervous. So being able to share the stage with my dad was really meaningful because it helped me to control my nerves. There was one particular story that I always think of, which is my very first concert. I think it was a long time ago somewhere at like Waterloo Road. There was like a hall there and it was a Suzuki concert. I I wasn't part of that Suzuki school, but my dad asked if I could join in and I just ended up playing one or two short pieces. What happened then was I was so nervous that I I think I just froze. And I remember seeing a video where my dad actually just joined me on stage. He wasn't even meant to play or meant to be on stage. He just sat there next to me and watched me whilst I was playing. So having his presence there helped me go through the performance. And I think his presence there definitely made a huge difference. And I mean, obviously, since then, things have changed, but it's always great to have someone there on stage and, you know, who else, you know, what more can you ask for if you had someone like you down stage with you, right? So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about your, your journey with coping with performance anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, like I said, that uh, oftentimes the, the first experience we have will have a very profound impact on the subsequent uh, sort of performances. So sure. say, say, for example, if someone were to enjoy, um, you know, uh, their first performance was particularly like, um, I wouldn't say perfect, but, you know, you went through the whole process without any scruff or anything or generally smooth performances. You went on, you executed, and then you left the stage. Would That would be a good point for you to, for one, to build sort of confidence over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like as you mentioned, like in performances like the one that you just mentioned, where you sort of kind of froze, and obviously that has an impact, right? The second performance you're gonna be like, mm, well, and maybe can I do this? Can I not do this? Right. So over time, how do you begin to cope with this um, sort of performance anxiety? And of course, you went on to have like great successes in competitions and had many, many more performances, right? So how was yeah. that journey like for you? I think what my dad helped how my dad helped me in this regard was I, I mentioned earlier that he was involved with the Topaya Guitar Club for a while. So when I started playing guitar, he actually ended up returning to the club and I joined along with him. And I was saying earlier that within a group setting, I was able to feel a lot more comfortable because I'm not so worried about nerves of everyone just looking at you, but you can focus more on the music making process. So I felt that my time with playing in a guitar ensemble helped me a lot with dealing with the nerves because you can, you can, it showed me that you can be on stage and not worry about, not worry too much about nerves and still focus on the music and enjoy yourself. So I think that did play a huge part. And obviously as I got used to being on stage more through this process, that transition towards playing more, well, towards my father or more solo stuff on my own, it became a lot easier to manage. Mm. So, and on top of that, being able to go through the consistent practice was 
very important and my father guiding me through that that isn't um that's discipline that's not necessarily a, a trick that's unique to music right you know that's uh, just a philosophy of you know practicing consistently a little bit every day and making progress right so okay. that all of that played a huge part for me so i think I, although even now i still feel nerves before going on stage i think i'm at least i have this raised awareness and i still feel at least somewhat comfortable on stage and i think you know i'm able to not fake it but you know still look uh calm and confident on stage that i you know i can present because i always find that when i'm sitting within the audience that it's very hard once you've broken the facade of that cool being that cool and calm person on stage it's very hard to go back mm. because it it, it it once you feel the nervousness or unwanted energy injected into your playing you've already tasted it you know right. you've already tasted something that kind of spoils it a little bit mm. i don't know if that's the right way of, i don't know if this is the best way of putting it but there's already that hint there so right. some of the best performances are the ones where you know even if it's just simpler music it doesn't have to be too complicated but you know you want to because and there's that visual element as well the performer mm. you know comfortable really enjoying oneself and making the music being mm. in their own world you know yeah that that are some of the best performances that i've seen so mm. yeah 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 absolutely and i think uh there's also sort of like good nerves and bad nerves right me, right so bad nerves are like when it takes control of the entire performance like for example the fight or flight or the freeze moments right mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. yeah we react in that way that we it affects the performance but if there are this sort of like um little bit of adrenaline that carries us through the performance to get yes. into a, a particular type of focus and a moment that's where the, the magic really happens it helps us keep on our toes right you can't Absolutely. have too much of it until it overwhelms you yeah right exactly yeah, yeah. and you you mentioned it uh, and it put it really really well and i think about this sort of like focus and uh, understanding almost like being in the zone and just like executing you know and expressing what you have prepared you've also been involved in a couple of uh, sort of this fundraising activities or using mm. your your craft to do do some good right and i'm yeah. interested to to explore this topic with you and what what it's really like because uh, obviously you went to uh Kale when you were in the Mandarin school yes which yes. uh which i believe if you take the eurostar is usually the first stop from london entering france that's right? correct that that's the place and um, uh so my sort of dilemma or what i've heard people say is that you know we play music and yes we are able to you know temporarily you know lift the spirits of the people in the camp but uh because we in in order for us to to make a more direct and a, a stronger impact is perhaps through a, a big donation check or you know providing something that is more tangible like say food or, or supplies for them so mm. as musician right when you went over to this refugee camp 
how what was it like and how did the the refugees react to having live music performed for them yeah so at that point in which we visited the refugee camp in Calais they had already established the sort of their own way of living there there were various almost like stalls and like shops that people have set up to sort of created their own community mm. so it was really nice to see that you know despite the fact that they were being displaced into a different location they were still very welcoming and accepting of you know people like us who were coming in and just sharing what they had with us so it was really kind i remember you know they welcomed us in just sit down had some tea and they even showed some of the musical instruments that they had carried you know with them all the way from from home mm. at the same time when we went over we were the school actually had a initiative where they collected food donations from the local community near Menuin school and we drove we didn't actually take the train we actually drove to Calais and the first place we went to was the volunteer center So at the volunteer center before the actual refugee camp there were lots of people there that were preparing food a lot of other materials that that would eventually be passed on to the refugees and there we helped by by sending some resources and we even helped a little bit with the cooking process for fun and we also gave a short performance to them too right. so and any big beans and jacket potato no 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 no, no. <laughs> right. i mean i mean there were a lot yeah. of canned food there were a lot of canned yeah, food yeah. for sure yeah. But it was nice that it was nice to be able to help out in a concrete way because as you say, you know, it's not always necessarily uh it's not always necessarily the case that, you know, that with music, of course, it's important because you make an emotional connection, but obviously there are some physical uh ways that we can help, you know, through uh to donate or help support these refugees and as well as the volunteers. So it's really nice to be able to share music with them as well. I think it's really difficult because from from the outside you can just claim oh it's just another empty gesture just show their show face and you know it's just oh just looks good you know you're just doing something for them. I think when you're on the ground and you're there in person you know within the atmosphere when you know people are facing the odds you can't it's very hard to simply just swipe that you know and make that remark and say oh it's just another one of those uh, empty gestures it really means a lot to to people there and then so when we were there when we moved from the volunteer center to, to the refugee camp it was around the evening time and it was actually quite cold and we still took out our instruments regardless and we still made some music people were actually very excited and they were even cheering it's not like your classical music concert where people are quiet and calm they were actually really energetic and they you know some of them were shouting and making remarks and they were like wow amazing you know and what happened in the end was as we were about to wrap up they actually slowly brought in their own instruments and by the time we had finished it just so happened that one of one or two of, of them actually one of the refugees they took out and just started jamming with their own instruments and mm. as we slowly slipped away by by the end of the night 
everyone was jamming and dancing around the, that area. So I think it was really amazing to see how so we had such a unique opportunity to witness music making such a concrete and physical difference to the lives of these people. Because when you're doing a normal charity concert, there isn't that sense of direct relationship between what you do and how it contributes to mm. society or the community. Here, yeah. it was really direct in front of our face. So it, it, I felt this sense of, of, like I felt like I had this power with the music that I could, you know, with mm. the music I make, the power to change people's lives. I don't mean that in a conceited or like I'm not trying to blow it up because yeah. it was really there in front of us and we, we you could witness the change being made. Yeah. So. For what I'd say to, to others who, you know, regularly do charity events and how, how, uh, however they can contribute to good causes, you know, it, to, to perhaps if they have the opportunity to really step in and see on the ground how, uh, who they're supporting and, you know, what they're doing so that they can better understand that mm. what they what they do really makes a difference right absolutely and i think what what you said is very true i think many times people who would think that like you said this is another one of those like empty gestures and things like that most of the time they haven't actually been to the site itself to actually mm. do the work yeah. and therefore they they form this um uh, opinion based on what they feel about mm. like these projects isn't it mm. and uh, I, I think uh, what you said and the, the way you put it it's almost magical isn't it what what music can do yeah yeah and, and how it just over the period of the performance it rubs off to the the people who are living in the camp and then they put, took out their instruments and they started yeah. playing in otherwise they, you see they always had the instrument but it just never left the case and yeah. perhaps it was not suitable because there was no that that there was no wasn't right. Yeah, there was no there, there wasn't that kind of energy, there wasn't that kind of like environment or avenue, as you said, to to for them to just open up their, their cases and, and start jamming. And for them, I think for people to find that little bit of spark within them that, you know, obviously life is not easy for them, but to take some time out, play a little bit of music, uh, enjoy themselves a little bit within their community. Is always a nice, nice thing, right? I mean, it it gets people so emotionally charged. You know, people who are fighting to live another day, who don't necessarily have food and water, and yet when you're in the right mood and atmosphere, with the power of music, they're all up and dancing. You know, mm. it's just amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, and thank you very much for for sharing this because. Uh, I've never been to one of these sites or these camps and uh, you know a, a lot of stuff that I see are just like images and these images might not be a fair reflection of what mm. it's actually like in in the in the site itself yeah sure sure sometimes it could be like they, they pick certain shots and and showcase that sure. just because of certain effects that they want 
But yeah. ha- you having said that they actually uh, have their own sort of community, they try to build something within themselves. That that is new information to me. Yeah, I I, I by saying all this, I don't mean to, you know, tell people that oh you must do this. Mm. By the way, it's just oh, right. just that through my personal experience, being able to witness all this, I feel that. Uh, I hope that it can uh, inspire other people that, you know, you don't necessarily need to go to these places to, to really feel it, to make a difference, but just to stress the fact that no matter what you do in terms of community causes, it really makes a difference. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, listening to uh, your interview with Matthew McAllister from the Gallery of Guitar, you brought up some very interesting things. And of course, I think... People who are not from Singapore, non-Singaporeans, would always be curious about our time in national service. And That's I right. heard yeah, some uh, <laughs> very interesting conversations about you having to trim your nails. So that was yeah, interesting. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, otherwise, things that we don't think about, but for some people like yourself, a guitarist, that is an integral part of your life, isn't it? Ha- uh, having this, the need to grow your nails out so yeah, that you can definitely. play. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it was um, quite stressful at the time to having to get rid of the nails. Mm. But fortunately, I just, I just went through it and yeah. eventually I was allowed to keep it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And uh, one particular uh, phrase that you mentioned that, I, that really, really resonates with me is that you, throughout your time in national service, it made, made you realize that there's more to life than just music, right? That's yeah. the, the phrase that you, that you use. Mm. So... Uh, walk us through this realization of what made you have this idea. Mm, I don't think yeah. there was a specific moment, not that I can recall anyway. But I think it was a gradual thing. Partly because of partly because of national service, partly because of my time at Cambridge, and me sort of opening up, opening myself up to the world even more. So I think partly NS because you meet so many people from all walks of life, right? Who don't necessarily have the slightest clue of what music or you know, classical music, let alone music, you know, might, might, what yeah. it might be. Mm. So being able to interact with others and gaining different perspectives, different perspectives of life is always important. And that's where I think some of this idea of, life being more than music, uh, being just music uh, came about. Because it's very easy when you're suddenly within the confines of Mandarin School, for example, your mm. life is just practicing. It's just yes. music, right? Yep. So it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole. And the danger is you can, if you if we continue full-time music education all the way, uh, you know gap years, know nothing, say you continue to a master's or even a doctorate, by the time you hit that point, including two years NS for Singapore males, you are early 30s. Mm. By that point, if you're not, you know, set up with a sustainable lifestyle, making some of an income, you know, and you only just exit the education, something, I think something a bit wrong, right? Correct <laughs> <laughs> or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, I understand. So, yeah, I think... Music is there to enrich our lives. It's not there to take over our lives. Mm. If 
you can't even sort yourself out with simple life skills or like cooking or doing the laundry, you know, and you're only just doing practicing. I, that's an ex- exaggeration, lah. But yeah, I'm I'm not surprised if people if there are people like that, you know, and mm-hmm. and so I think you know we we got to sort ourselves out as well, lah. I don't. Yeah, I, it sounds it. I think from outside our circles, this statement can sound very trivial. <laughs> Yeah, and, this like, and, of and course, I guess, right? and I guess, yeah. and I guess it is. Yeah. Mm. But for but for for us, I think it holds more meaning because of the situation we are in, lah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so yeah, so again with so that's NS and Cambridge as well. I, the idea that I was moving away from what was a performance background and looking at an environment where it's so academically charged with so many smart people from all over the world doing so many different you know, subjects, all ex- experts of their fields and stuff like that. So that was also another realization for me that, you know, there's so much more to to life. And there were many avenues for collaboration that isn't that wasn't just within the music realm. I mean, obviously everyone within the music faculty uh, were collaborating on music making. There are a lot of choirs within Cambridge and it's so amazing to see that a lot of students who are not majoring in music join in. They all sing in choirs. They all mm. come together, say with the university orchestra and they do their own ensembles. The world really is your oyster there. And, and it's so great to see that everyone, you know, not necessarily from a music background, they don't need to study music full time, but they are all making high quality music. Mm, it's absolutely. so great to see that because it, you're really seeing the the passion behind music making there. I think one of the concerns I had with with this was if I took the opportunity within national service to take it as a breather, to serve, it served as a reminder for myself because some most of my friends, after we graduated from Minuin, went straight on to music college. Most of them ended up in the London colleges. Um, and at that point, all I saw was the continuous stress of performing mm. and, you know, producing results. Yeah. Whereas with NS, it was a two year sort of breather for me to take a step back and re- reevaluate where I was. Yep. Absolutely. I told myself by the end of the two years, if I didn't, if that, if by the end of the two years, I didn't really feel like I missed anything. I didn't feel bothered, then maybe music should just stay a hobby, you know, but fortunately enough, you know, I was more than feeling the yearning, the desire to keep it going. And I was able to practice during NS and CAM and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So I think it just served as a self-affirmation of what I wanted to do. And I knew that uh, I could carry on this, uh, carry on, you know, with music as something that I wanted to do seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think using the, the two years as a gap year is actually quite good for for most people because like you said, you know, we, um, I mean, I, I didn't have such an intense music education as yourself, but after my, my O-levels, I went into uh, the Nanyang Academy of Fine Arts. I yeah. did euphonium there for, for three years. And of course, leading Towards my, my diploma years, I was surrounded by a group of very, very passionate uh, bandmates. Mm. And then when going on to NAFA, 
you, you start to feel that I, I didn't realize at that point of time, but I was in a bubble, right? I was surrounded by people who, who understood what I said. Yeah. And then I went into national service and uh, my uh, physical status isn't very high. So uh, I was not able to get into the, the central band uh, or the SAF band. So I, were with, I, I was with a bunch of people who basically had no clue of what I was doing. And I thought that what I did or what I was doing was interesting. But when mm. they expressed no interest in it, I was like, man, really puts things into perspective for me. That like, yeah. what we do is just yet another thing. Doesn't yeah. make us any better. Doesn't make us any more interesting. It's different. That's for sure. But, yeah. you know, it's just yet another thing, right? So I, and then I started to realize that I really struggle to hold conversations with people. All I yeah. had was music. Other than that, it was like football a bit of basketball and then that was it. Like it yeah. was so difficult to sustain <laughs> conversations. It's like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I mm. just like, why can't I understand what they're saying? <laughs> you know? I, I, I totally sympathize. I, I, yeah. I feel the same way too. And I feel that despite, you know, not having the connection uh, or having that common topic or talking point that is music, it reaffirmed it actually that difference actually helped reaffirm me doing music because a part of what we do is sharing the joy of what it means to make music and you know it's a it's a form of emotional communication as well and to those who have not experienced it before i see it as not a glass half empty but a glass half full situation where there's it's a huge opportunity here to really share and expose people who have not, you know, tapped into music before to, to allow them to see what it's like. So if they don't know anything about music, that doesn't mean no talking point. It just mm. means a new talking point for them to try. You try and see how you can get them and hook them in. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wish I thought like that. Oh, I wish I spoke to you a bit sooner. <laughs> but because... <laughs> I because I just helped I just felt like I was hitting a brick wall and then eventually I just kind I of I know what you off. mean. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And uh so now this decision to to go into a slightly more kind of uh academic uh route, was it did this come from your the two two gap years or even before that you already kind of set your mind on on this? I think it was slightly before I had entered my national service because what I ended up doing was I actually applied uh, one year in advance. Okay. So I, I had a deferred entry. Mm -hmm. I applied and I already knew, say, two, three months in into my national service that I was very fortunate to have a place. So I was so because I already knew I had the place, I was just waiting to RD and <laughs> move yeah. on to the next phase. So <laughs> okay. I think... For me, having that spot was also in its, in a way, its own form of encouragement of me to stay the course and work hard towards getting there. And I mean, now that I'm there, man, the expectations were very different mm. because I, I didn't necessarily know what I was signing myself up for uh, and to enter an academic course. And even now, I'm, I'm not going to lie, there were, some of it's really, really difficult. Right. So 
I shot myself in the foot there uh, in, in some <laughs> respects. But I think now that I'm about to start my final year, I'm, I'm close to the finish line now and I just got to make a strong sprint to the finish. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, I, you know, what, okay, maybe we, we, can, we can talk about that a little bit. That is what, like, are there any specific uh, things that is that's particularly challenging for you? Right. For is me, it, it just, was yeah. Go ahead. For me, it was. I mean, for me, the academics, particularly with essays, essay writing is not one of my forte's. That's for mm. sure. So a lot of the time, I was screwing up with writing essays that were super short. I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm. Uh, I didn't. I found it really difficult to read as well. I read quite slowly. So, you know, taking all that time to read, digest information, and and pack it into an essay that is cohesive. Oof. Um, it's really difficult. Yeah. There are all these questions that come up from the course. I don't know, like, say the last time I wrote proper essays was, you know, during Mandarin school, but even at that point, were they really proper, proper essays? I don't know. Mm. Um, I think I just happened to pick subjects that didn't involve a lot of essay writing. I'm more of a math science kind of guy. Okay. So, yeah, I think when it comes to essay writing, I would have thought that when you get a question, you have some inkling or hint as to how the the essay would look like and you know what sort of direction you want to go just solely by looking at the question. Mm. But for me, most of my time I look at the question, my mind is just blank. I'm right. like... What is this? I have yeah. no idea what this question is referring to. So I was very lost in the beginning because of that. I didn't okay. really feel like I know what I was getting into. So mm. a lot of the time, I was doing a lot of reading and then only at the last minute, sort of rushing to write something. And that's why some of my essays at the beginning weren't really that long. And they were like, it's so short, you need more. So right. <laughs> that for yeah. me was particularly challenging. And I feel that it's a huge point that should have greater awareness, particularly for those uh, for, for those here who are thinking of pursuing such a course uh, overseas or here, um, you know, any kind of academic music degree that is really intense. Actually, we ought to be talking about these things more because I don't know if what we, you know, whatever we have received in terms of instruction before will ever truly prepare sufficiently for such tasks mm, so for sure yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and i mean of course academic writing is a is a whole different sort of ball game yeah. Right? yeah yeah it's not like you know you you write a blog or you <laughs> yeah just write a, write a short story yeah right you got you got to be academic uh, you got to be economic with the number of words you use yeah at the same time you need to like use the right words and and yeah i, I absolutely understand what what you're saying and uh, unless you are very skilled with the language, uh, oftentimes we we will struggle to, yeah. to kind of like structure it or sort of like plan it out the, the correct way, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I really, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I cannot agree more when it comes to like whatever you've mentioned about understanding that there are multiple facets to life. 
than just mm. our work, right? Of course, our work is music. And right. I think uh, it's something that I've been thinking about over the last sort couple of years is that, yeah. you know, we, we take our instruments away. Who are we? Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, yeah. it, it, is Kevin Lowe only something with a guitar? Yeah. And if we take away that, he's just a nobody. That's absolutely not true. Right. Because, yeah, there, there are so much more that we can offer as a person. Definitely. I think you're, you're, you're absolutely spot on there. I think it, whenever I talk about this, uh, it, it always reminds me of something a friend once told me. He was saying, I think what he said was this. He said that as musicians, we are never able to truly focus on honing our craft. We are always music plus, musician plus something. So musician plus teacher, musician plus, I don't know, um, composer, or I, I mean, play, performer plus so-and-so. Basically, yeah. all, maybe I haven't said it in the most amazing way, but basically he was trying to, portray this in a negative light whereas for me i actually would disagree and say that every little thing we do adds more color to to our lives mm. right so yeah. if you are saying you're doing something that's nothing com, you know completely nothing related to music you know but you're still expressing yourself in another art form it's just a for, another form of expression and all these different things can inspire and influence each other so it you know you could be you could be i don't know if you as you're saying if you enjoy football or basketball somehow you know that can in, you know your your enjoyment for that can inspire the way you make music you know mm. i couldn't possibly explicitly lay out how yeah but there are always relation relation unique relationships between what we do i mean i don't know like for example when i was younger i played golf for example mm. and I always learned that, you know, you have to be calm and poised to have the right position and all this. And, you know, some of these life lessons carry through to the way I make music today. And, you know, it, you know, you learn from so many facets of life. So exactly as you mentioned, if you took the instrument away, I don't know, what if you had an injury or an accident, you cannot play music anymore? Absolutely. You know, I mean, does that mean you're going to give up? That's it? No, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you... Yeah, so I guess not putting all your eggs in one basket, right? Yeah. Is the yeah, phrase. Absolutely. absolutely. And yeah. it's it's what goes on inside the mind, isn't it? How we yeah. channel our creativity into yeah. something else, right? Because I, I think as musicians, we are not afraid of learning curves, right? We are not afraid of like learning something new because mm. <laughs> we've been learning our instrument and we're still learning and it's lifelong, yeah. isn't it? So it, it's not daunting to us to to go on this journey of discovery and learn some, yes. learning something new. That right, doesn't right. face us. So, you know, actually, if we've already developed this particular skill set and we can approach anything and we can get ourselves up to a level that, you know, is acceptable in, in mm. a way, right? Doesn't have to be arts or music related, right? It could be like bread baking, which I'm also very interested in, for example. Cool, right? Yeah, yeah. All, all, all these sort of things, yeah. Exactly, and it's just being open. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And now, a uh, final question for you, and thank you uh, for, for being so generous with your time. Once no again, worries, yeah. For, for speaking <laughs> to me. Uh, you know, you 
have been such a, a wonderful representation or representative for classical guitar, a Singaporean musician, and, and and so many more. You know, and as a if I were a young, a younger uh, <laughs> a guitarist, you know, wanting to get into music, and I see like you doing so many great things and so many exciting things, it certainly gives me uh, a, a certain kind of energy and inspiration to try mm. to be be the same. You know. And in fact, I, I find it really kind of almost interesting and a little bit funny how how you actually premiered a concerto with the SSO first, then yeah. became the president's young performer, <laughs> right? So uh, that that's really cool. And, you know, so uh, you, you fly, like I said, you fly the, the Singaporean flag uh, high and, and proudly. And I can say that we are all... Uh, or at least for myself, really proud of your achievement. And thank you very you, much. Yeah, and so now, as you continue on this journey of um, you know gaining more knowledge about guitar and music in general, what are the hopes, if there are any, mm. to contribute back or when you return back to Singapore? What, yeah. what sort of changes do you do you hope to make? Yeah. I definitely see myself back in Singapore. Uh, in the long term because uh, there's just so much uh, to be done uh, like I was saying earlier I see a glass half full not a glass half empty situation here whereby there are other countries you know in the western part of the world that already have lots of programs and things that are, have been happening for a while Singapore and, and certainly within the Southeast Asian region not so much slowly a little bit little pockets here and there but I suddenly feel that you know there's just so much room to an opportunity to grow explore and develop you know what we can achieve you know the, the minimum that we could pursue is the stuff that folks in the western world had already done just simply by you know doing what they've done there's already scope to grow and then on top of that also adding our our sort of asian flair and seeing how we can create our own unique um voice with music not not just guitar specifically right so i feel like one i would love to be able to come back and help raise the bar of not just guitar uh well certainly guitar but as well music making and you know doing chamber music having guitar involved with others because as you're saying we can be stuck in our own little bubble sometimes mm. and it, it would be great that we can all expose uh, each other to our different arts and cultures and all this uh, all these inspirations that can add again add color to to us mm. making us unique as a personality and as a musician so I certainly hope that I can help to just raise the bar in terms of guitar pedagogy uh, certainly through tertiary level institutions or you know even with local schools you know secondary schools I've been doing the occasional workshops with local guitar ensembles within schools already. And I hope to be able to contribute more of that in the future. So, right. yeah. Yeah, all very, very exciting uh, plans, actually. And, yeah. you know, uh, you've been pretty generous as well because, obviously, it's it's hard work. It's your yeah. own efforts over time that you've yes. built up this, this whole youtube channel thing and occasionally i do see like you know friends coming in and you are collaborating with other people and, and yeah yeah that's i think uh awfully generous of you to to have these people 
so you know come into the videos and yeah you know at the same time people get a little bit of awareness of the potential yes of yeah. collaboration but also yes. get to know singaporean musicians as well exactly you know i'm really thankful for you know my friends who are generous with their time to be able to join me so it's good fun it's always good yeah. fun we have fun making music first and then we see you know what can we do to explore i think that's mm. part and parcel of of um why we are very fortunate as musicians to have the job that we do i mean obviously we when when we devote ourselves or when we choose to pursue music as a profession we have to make that compromise that okay maybe financially we we are not as well off as other industries or what have you we are making that conscious decision to make that compromise as a lifestyle but i think you know you say when you find a job you choose your passion and it doesn't feel like work mm. and and um with music certainly for me i i definitely feel that way because if it's a passion you will know what comes next you are always eager to explore and learn new things that eventually the path will kind of reveal itself and you're enjoying that process yeah so but at the same time when you say it doesn't feel like work it doesn't mean that you don't put in the time and the effort mm. right yes. yeah you do need to put in the time and the effort that it, it, no one said that there's no work of course there is work <laughs> yeah but you act, but if it's a passion that you truly enjoy, you'll actually enjoy that process of doing the work, right? Mm. So for those in the industry, you know, who are you know going through, you know, or perhaps questioning themselves or, you know, for those who are thinking about entering an industry or doing music, I, my, my advice to them would be to always, to try to clearly identify why they are taking on music as a craft and they should never forget their motivations of why they do music. Mm. They should clearly identify these motivations and in fact, constantly put these motivations under scrutiny. Yeah. Why do you, why are you doing this? Yeah. Are you doing this just for fun? You know, you just don't want to do it on the side. Then it should probably, probably it should stay a hobby. Yes. It could, it can be a very active one, but it's still a hobby. But if you want it to really be a profession, you need to ask yourself whether you know you're ready to accept you know, such a lifestyle. Yeah, and are you ready to and, are you ready yeah. to take the work? Are you ready mm. to do the work? Yeah. Right. If you Absolutely. don't enjoy that process, hmm. Then you gotta re you gotta evaluate some things, like <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the moment you have decided to go on to this journey to pursue, let's say, music as a career, as as you put it, it's almost like you sign this sort of like uh, contract with yourself that you yeah. dedicated X number of hours every day to your to your craft, full stop, yeah. right? Yeah. Rain uh, or shine, you feel happy, you feel sad, you feel tired, you feel energetic, you do that X number of hours. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah and it's definitely. like I said, it's, it's that consistent approach daily. To, and and uh, you're such a, a fantastic example of that, right? <laughs> what what are the the possibilities that would come out of this consistent uh, approach and consistent yes. habit building? Yeah. yeah, I think the way you put it, rain or shine, actually is perfect because a lot of audiences who are you know, or, or musicians who watch concerts, uh, who who see musicians in action, it's through concerts, right? And the problem with that is. It's all the that's all you all you see within the concerts 
is the glamour. Mm. Right? So that they can't they have to be careful to not fall for the illusion that, you know, that's all it is. Yeah. There's so much preparation behind the scenes that people don't necess- don't necessarily mm. see, right? Yeah. So that's why I that's why I say um, you know, if they, you know, they need, really need to identify clearly why they're doing this and they need to be prepared for the time and effort they need to put in. Yeah, exactly. It, it's a yeah. 10,000 hours idea, right? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> dedicate 10,000 hours of like, uh, sort of like aware uh, practice to one particular task. Once mm. you pass that threshold, you gain, you gain some sort of expertise in that particular craft. Yeah, it is uh, exactly that. Yeah. And you know, I, how is it like when when you were learning guitar when you were younger? Because nowadays in schools, it seems like, like for example, ukulele in primary schools are, are getting more and more popular and mm. being incorporated into the the music curriculum in schools. Like, right. you know, classroom music, yeah, not, yeah. not as a CCA. So uh, how does that make you feel? Does that give you some sort of like positivity to know that, you know, younger students are being exposed to to these instruments at a younger age, albeit perhaps not in-depth, but having this opportunity to explore these instruments? In terms of music as a classroom subject, I feel like actually I have a lot more to learn as to how things are being done. Mm. But as far as I'm aware, it's good news. It's slow and steady, of course, because, you know, the the most, the fast, the the way to make faster progress is like one-to-one instruction and all this. But I think there's always progress being made with exposure. Even, even with just exposure, it's, you know, a small step, but small and stable steps, you know. Mm, compounding so, in years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. right. Exposure is, I mean, if you've never heard it or never seen it before, how do you know, right? You don't know what you don't mm. know. So yeah. anything that we do at the early stage uh, is so important, right? Mm. So that's why I feel like, say, you know, now I'm, I, just, I, what really, one of the biggest lessons for me personally was I've learned so much through learning my instrument, but then now that I've started teaching a little bit, I feel like the teaching process is actually the natural next step because it really forces me to consolidate, consolidate all the information I have in a way that, that is, uh, in a way that I have to be able to reproduce it and explain it to someone. Yeah. It once you can truly do that, you really know your stuff. Exactly. Before that, I could just be doing, but I don't really know what I'm doing. You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I I feel like there are so many young kids that have great opportunities to be exposed to music. Certainly in the classroom, of course. And these are the next generations of audiences and potential musicians, active musicians that we're talking about. So it's really important that, you know, we keep this up and in fact, see how we can improve and mm. invest in this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, you hit the nail right in the head when you said this idea that we have to then pass down this information in this sort of crystallized and distilled way, right? That yeah. that students can understand yeah. just what we are talking about. And not exactly. it's not sort of like some gray area go exploit yourself like yeah um, yeah, yeah. yeah that it can be a bit confusing and interpreted uh interpreted the the, the wrong way mm. yeah so absolutely i completely agree with you with, yeah. with that yeah so um two two more things before we wrap this uh, conversation up okay sure um now talk about 
of course, you're returning back to the UK. And of mm. course, uh, we hear plans that you might be moving across the Atlantic to the the US as yeah. well. And what are some of like the the projects in your bucket list that you feel like, you know, I, I really want to explore this, but I haven't really had a chance? For me, the, I don't know, I feel like I've, I've within within my my circle of friends, I know some people who are like really devoted to early music and devoted to to either early music or like modern music. And I feel like I don't know. I I I kind of fall within both camps. I'm really interested because the classical guitar. I think the guitar, let alone classical guitar, is such a such a diverse instrument, right? Because of the popular culture and everything that it's involved with, so. With classical guitar technique, I'm able to transfer that over to acoustic guitar, electric guitar, ukulele, you name it. And I just have fun with all the different genres. So what I'd love to be able to do is to expand my skills with electric guitar or historical plucked instruments. I, I, I have nowhere near as much experience with these and I'd love to be able to further collaborate with other people Mm. Uh, not just with classical guitar, but you know, with these different instruments as well. So that's something that I hope to be able to to explore down the road. So with electric guitar comes a lot of contemporary repertoire like Steve Reich's electric counterpoint and how you use electronics and you know do different things in, in collaboration with others. And then obviously there's the historical side with say the lute or the theorbo. I'd love to be able to explore that because we already play some of that repertoire uh, as transcriptions on the classical guitar. So I mm. feel like another natural way to explore the repertoire is to, you know, grab an actual lute and see how uh, the journey develops that way as well. I think Absolutely. it's, it, I don't know, like from the outside, it sounds quite logical, but I guess because I've spent so much time just on the classical guitar, I feel like these uh, paths of sprouting outwards will be, it's quite significant for me and I really look forward to be able to spending more time doing these. Mm, right. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that, that's great because it's one thing to, obviously you, you have the information, you know yeah. uh, what, what you're talking about when you're talking about the, the lute and the, the tiobos or, or the, the more contemporary music. But yeah. it's another thing to, to begin practice and living and exactly. making the music, right? Yeah. I think that adds a, a completely new dimension to yeah. To your knowledge and your skill sets as well, and Definitely. yeah, sounds sounds really exciting. Uh, I look forward to one day going to yeah. your electronic guitar <laughs> recitals for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that that'll be quite a sight. I I don't think I can visually visualize it now, but I think it'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, uh, last thing, and what is one uh, parting advice statement ethos? Of course, you've given many already throughout this mm. uh, this interview. Uh, that you would. Uh, of guiding principle that you share with our listeners who are currently working on their craft or navigating this industry? I think for me, the punchline was the one that I was talking about before about clearly identifying why, you know, you've decided to take on music as a craft. But putting that aside, not necessarily musically specific, but it's just to follow your heart and follow your passion and that we are always learning, being open, and and this key phrase that I took away from from my primary school days: lifelong learning. 
right? Which always relates to openness. You have to just keep humble and be open and be accepting of of others, uh, not just other people, but other cultures and other things, and never judging a book by its cover, right? So anything that we take in will color our, our personality and that will in turn reflect in our music making and how we carry ourselves mm. uh, within our lives. Yep. So openness, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Put. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think you, you brought up a really good point. And if I could rephrase it, that would be intellectual humility, staying humble, mm. right? Yeah. You know, uh, understand that you know only a tiny bit, understand that there are a lot of things that we don't know. And yes. then we must we may know we may know more than others in terms of music, but you always have to you you can't behave like the guy who knows everything. There will always be someone else in the room who knows more than you of something else. Right? Yeah. 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 And do not yeah, do not go into to judge and prosecutor mode, right? And just be like, <laughs> you are wrong. Like, yeah. yeah. And then like, listen to this. This is like the truth. Uh, no, but having that openness to rethink all the time about how we see things about, uh, could be about music, could be about yeah. life in general. Well, just being, staying open. Particularly yeah. with classical music, we want to welcome people in. We mm. don't shun them out. If we <laughs> act all high and mighty, yeah. that's it. They won't want to come in, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So. yeah. We can continue to live in our ivory towers alone. <laughs> yeah and stay there right yeah well uh, i think this is a, a a good place for us to wrap this conversation up uh, fantastic thank you thank you so much for your time and coming on to the show kevin thank you uh, for having me yeah and thank you so much for your very open sharing about your your career and your journey in music so far your thought process has been really interesting uh, getting for me to get to know you a little bit better as a person as well yeah, and I, I hope you, you had a good time here. And thank you once again so much for, for your time. Thank you very much. Yeah. So for all of you listening, thank you very much for staying with us throughout this episode. And most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is very, very much appreciated. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play Awards. Until next time. Thank you.